I want to lift out just one verse today. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, in some verses, it reads, save yourselves from this perverse generation. And the translation there should be, be saved. We know, as those who have tried it ourselves, we can't save ourselves. But when we call on the name of Jesus, he's there and he brings salvation. And we're born again to a living hope whenever we cry out to him. There are a couple of other words I want to lift out to you in this passage. The first one, it says that he kept exhorting them. And that word in the Greek is parakaleo. And it means to call, uh, to invite, to invoke, to implore, to beseech, uh, to, uh, to entreat, just trying to get someone's attention and get them to hear what you're saying and inviting them to join in on what you're talking about. Uh, it also means to, uh, to comfort. Uh, and to pray. Uh, it's interesting that the root of the same word, parakaleo, that's where we get our word parakletos, which is the Greek word that we translate Holy Spirit. And it's translated, it means comforter. It means one who walks alongside, but it's also one who calls you. And the Holy Spirit is always going to be calling you to not be a part of this perverse generation. He's going to be with you, guiding you and directing you and showing you how you don't have to be a part of the madness that's going on around you. So, uh, and then the word uh, that uh, is translated perverse generation the word perverse is the Greek word scolios. It's the same word that we get scoliosis from. You know, whenever someone's spine is not straight uh, and it means warped, it means winding and uh, figuratively it means perverse, or crooked, froward or untoward. Now, I wondered uh, what that word froward meant. So I looked it up. Perverse that is turning from with an aversion or reluctance, not willing to yield or comply with what is required. So uh, we the, this generation is one that's, uh, and it also says ungovernable and disobedient. Put that in connection with being disobedient to God, being obstinate before God. And that's what, Peter is trying to get across because it's in the context of them having participated in the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the reason they're why they're asking uh, what they should do is because it's now clear this Jesus that they crucified has risen from the dead and been proclaimed by God himself as his Messiah the one that they were looking for. 
And so all of a sudden, they know about the day of the Lord. They know what's going to happen when God comes back, when the Lord comes back. And all of a sudden, they're scared to death because they have ticked off God royally. And they are really worried about it. And so that's why he's telling them and exhorting them to be saved from this perverse generation that looked on Jesus as one to be hung on a cross instead of to be being glorified and worshiped. And he gave them a chance. God gave them a chance. God gives us a chance too. Every one of us were in the same boat in some shape, form, or fashion as these uh, uh, Jews were that day that were standing out there realizing they had messed up big time. And it's when we come to that place where we realize that we have really messed up and there's nothing that we can do to undo it. They could not undo what they had done to Jesus. They couldn't undo any of the curses and the taunts that they had thrown at him. They couldn't take back any of the spit that they had thrown his way. There was nothing they could do but rely on his mercy and his grace. And that's all that we can do. We can't take back any harsh word. We can't take back uh, any actions that we've done that we know were displeasing to God. We're in the same boat that these people were back then. And the only hope that we have is the same one that those people had. And that's to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. And uh, let's see, how does the rest of it go? Uh, well, anyway, let's see here. Anyway, I closed my Bible. I can't see it now. But anyway, uh, he calls us to come and be baptized, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, and that we'll receive the Holy Spirit. It's so wonderful that moment when you sense his washing and his cleansing coming in and his presence, the presence of his Holy Spirit sealing you as his. And all of a sudden, you're not a part of this generation anymore. You're a part of a priesthood of royal believers. And you're different from that point on. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's a uh, forward also means not easily guided or taught. My first job, church job, after I was saved and went off to seminary, was as a youth director of a, uh, a church in McKinney, Texas, and uh, uh, the kids there, the parents there, the people there were just wonderful. And I loved say, there. And the children, the kids, the youth were just like sponges taking in the things of God. And they knew nothing about John Wesley. And so I was able to get them a lot of material on the, 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 the founder of the Methodist uh, movement and the Methodist church. And started sharing with them his life and his teachings. And they just drank it in. This makes sense. This is so good. And then they start saying, why haven't we heard any of this before? Why, why doesn't our preacher ever preach about this stuff? And I thought, oops, what have I done? 
And so um, I wasn't about to speak for him. So I said, well, I'll tell you what let's do. This is something we used to do whenever I was uh, in youth group. We'll have a, an Ask the Preacher Sunday. And uh, we'll have a time whenever the preacher can come and answer any questions that you might have. And say, oh, that'd be great. That'll be great. And so uh, let's call him Dr. C shows up and uh, one of the leaders in the youth group, uh, he said, I hear y'all have some questions. And he said, yeah, why haven't we heard about any of this stuff about John Wesley before? Why, why haven't we heard about salvation? And the preacher just kind of sat back in his chair and he said, salvation from what? And uh, they said, from sin. I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And so you don't have to worry about that because he's already paid for your sins. And uh, you see, he was what we call a universalist. Nobody is going to go to hell. Everybody's going to go to heaven. And that is was much more prevalent in the United Methodist Church back then than you would ever believe. That was very, very common. Uh, in seminary, I've shared with you how uh, whenever we were looking over the apostles, we were looking, they were talking about, it was pastoral care class and somebody raised their hand and asked the prophet, what do we do whenever uh, we're, we're with a family and uh, they're grieving and they say, well, I know that, 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 that uh, daddy's with the Lord now. And uh, the inference, the inference was that daddy was not. And it turns out that many in that class held the opinion that when you're dead, you're dead. They held the opinion there wasn't even a life after, that there was no resurrection of the dead. And uh, I was just amazed at that because I had found life in him and I knew that my life was going to go on eternally. And so as I'm sure some of you heard me say before, I raised my hand and said, so whenever you stand up in front of the congregation and lead them in the Apostles' Creed. Are you lying? And he's kind of, because you know, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. And he just kind of stepped back and said, well, I guess I am. And then he went on with the deal. And so this has been prevalent, this sort of teaching and, uh, and all has been around in... Uh, in churches for years and years and years. My first time on a uh, conference committee, I got to be on the family life committee. And I thought, this is wonderful because, I mean, if there's anybody that's, that's for family and can help families, it's the Lord. Amen. And uh, so I got there in this meeting and all they wanted to talk about was unwed mothers. And they said, we got to, we got to minister to these unwed mothers, you know. And, and, uh, I said, but, and, and the way that they were talking about doing it was not helping them to cope with guilt or to find a, a reconnection with God and to have him help them. It was just condoning them in their, in where they were and things of that nature. 
And so uh, we wound up, uh, I, I said, well, now what, isn't this the family life committee? Isn't the church so st- supposed to be uh, encouraging uh, good families and helping people have good Christian families? What's Something's wrong here. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't, I was a wet stick because you see, they had found another group of sinners that they could condone the sin and get them into their church. That's what they were after. And that's, they were, and, and what they were practicing is not, the label that I put on, on it is echo ministry, where a church discovers what society is doing and then just echoes it and approves it and says it's okay. And that's the sort of thing that's brought us to this place where we are right now. Uh, so, uh, Anyway, uh, and it's what in our former denomination, the denomination that we have disaffiliated from, praise the Lord, uh, has brought us to the point by condoning so much of this stuff that it it helped bring about the Dylan uh, Mulvaney uh, Budweiser light thing this past three weeks by condoning. And by allowing transgender preachers and uh, allowing them to stand in front of the pulpit and give children sermons to little kids and things like that, that helped contribute to the Bud Light fiasco that's happened. Because whenever the world sees the church opening a door for evil to come in, they come traipsing in in all different shapes and forms. And so that helped bring this about. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I read where the, just this morning that the, uh, the president of, uh, the Budweiser uh, says Anheuser-Busch issued a sort of apology that seemed to suggest that the brewer just wanted to its entire partnership with Mulvaney to disappear. Quote, we never intended to be part of a discussion that divides people, Chief Executive Brendan Whitworth said in a statement curiously entitled, Our Responsibility to America. We didn't intend to get involved in something divisive. You see, they saw nothing wrong with what they did. They just didn't intend to cause a hassle. They thought that they were just going to ride the wave of popular opinion and help lead the way. They were thinking something other was going to come out of it. Maybe our country has gotten to the place to where it's finally found where to draw the line. I know that revival is happening now, and uh, that's good, and we want it to continue. Uh, but this is just it. We keep on condoning as long as, and this is just it. Our current denomination has a great opportunity to reach people with the gospel, unfettered from all of this other stuff that we've been tied to in the past. And so there's a freshness that we have now to proclaim the gospel. And we as global Methodists need to be letting people know 
that there's a God that loves them and he wants to help them and he has a good life for them. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then it goes on and it says, but such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This word effeminate is the word that would describe whatever you translate it properly, uh, Dylan Mulvaney. Poor Dylan's not going to inherit the kingdom of God if he keeps on the track that he's on. I'm not saying it's hopeless, but see, this is just it. We need to recognize not just guys like Dylan, but thieves, but uh, liars, but drunks, revilers, all these other sorts of people, they're all in the same boat. It's not just one segment. Sin is sin. And we have to be saved from it. And whenever we are, we are washed, we're cleansed, we're made whole. And we uh, all, all of a sudden, we know what it's like to be free. There's a song we have in our hymnal. I hope we'll learn to sing it. It's based on and part of uh, Amazing Grace. It's called My Chains Are Gone. My chains are gone. I've been set free. And that's part of our testimony nowadays that we have received the forgiveness that our Lord offers. You see, it's not mean to call people's attention to what is keeping them from entering the kingdom of God. It's the most loving thing that you can do. I mean, if you see someone that's drowning and just, you just say, you should have learned how to swim. Now that's mean. <laughs> what you should do is help get them out of there, right? And that's what we're called to do. It's not just to judge and tell people what they've done wrong, but help them find what's right. And they're not going to know about it if you don't tell them about it. Uh, and there's a way to do that. You can, you can minister to people that are on the wrong track in love. I got a call from uh, the funeral director, or well, one of the owners actually of the funeral home, in, in major funeral homes in Marshall one day. And uh, uh, they said, Brother Joel, we've got a, a couple, a young, young, young man, young lady sitting out here on the bench in front of our uh, funeral home. And uh, they've been kicked out of their uh, house and they don't have anywhere to go. Could you do something for them? Oh, sure. I'll be right there. So I went out and sure enough, there's a very young couple probably about as old as Sharon and I were when we got married. We were, we were 19, but they were, they were about that young. And so, uh, I, uh, I visited with them and, and it turns out that, uh, 
they they weren't married they'd been staying at her mom's house and then her mom got a new boyfriend or something and just kicked them out and so they had nowhere to go and uh, they weren't even from that town they were just hitchhiking along and this is where they'd wound up and they had nothing no jobs no nothing and uh so what do you do when you're faced with something like that i said well let's just see what we can pull off here hop in the car come on back to the church with me and so I was able to find that over in Tyler, not too awful far away, the Salvation Army had a program going where uh, you'd stay in their dormitory uh, for 90 days. They would teach you a profession, a job. They would get you a job. They would provide you with what clothes you needed in order to do that job right, like steel-toed boots or whatever. And they would provide transportation to and from that and help get you established. You'd had 90 days to get established and save up a down payment for rent or whatever. And you could get back on your feet that way. They thought that was wonderful. And I had discovered at this point that they were not married. And uh, so I was kind of concerned, but I'd learned that these... uh, this Salvation Army set up, it was men's and women's dormitories. So it's not like they were going to be together while they were getting their training and all. So I wasn't going to be contributing to their cohabitation. That was a good thing. And so, but I, as I was driving down I-20, taking them to Tyler, I just happened to kind of glance over and, and ask them, said, are you two, are you two planning on getting married? And they just kind of lit up, said, yeah, our wedding was planned. We were getting ready. We'd already set the date and everything when we got kicked out and everything's on hold now. You know, we don't know. And uh, they they said, show him, show him. And we're driving down I-20 going about, you know, 70, 75 miles an hour. And they whip out their marriage license, which they had framed to keep it safe. They wanted to be married. And my heart went out to them because they were guarding this. And they only had about two days left before it was going to expire. You know, there's an expiration date on it. So um, I said, you two still want to get married? I said, yeah. So would you like for me to marry you? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, I found a way, I, I did it on an interstate. We made a U-turn, not on the interstate. I made a U-turn and we came back. <clears throat> to uh, to Marshall. On the way back, I gave them premarital counseling, and uh, then whenever we uh, uh, got there, we went into the chapel, and I married them, signed their uh, their license, then bundled them back in the car as husband and wife, and then took them to start their new life together. You see, I was able to contribute to good in their life, not to bad, and uh, <clears throat> and we talked about how. Living together, not married, wasn't right. You know, we, we talked about all that. And, uh, and it, was, it was done in love, and it struck a chord. And so, you see, you can minister to people. Now, there's some people won't be receptive, and that's fine. But when you realize all these people that are practicing all these things in this list, 
not just the one few things that we focus in on right now that's getting all the attention. All these things, if you're, uh, if they're practicing those things, and if they haven't received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're not going to be with you in heaven. And because of that, we need to be living and communicating in such a way that if people are receptive, they will hear and know that there's a way to be saved from this perverse generation. If I heard Dr. C today say, saved from what? I could say, this perverse generation. And people will start talking to you sometimes about, man, you know, the Bible's just coming alive right now. This is just the way they describe it in the Bible. It's kind of scary. And they'll talk about that. And when they do, you can say, yeah, you're right. But you don't have to be a part of it. There's a way out. And his name is Jesus. And uh, you have the opportunity then to share the goodness of God that's available to them. And so uh, there's one, Peter, not Peter, uh, Paul, whenever uh, he uh, was addressing the Philippians, he told them how they should be living in their generation. He, He told them, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That's what we're called to do and to be. And as you are that, you are going to be lights. He goes on. Uh, In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. When people see your peace, your joy in the midst of all this garbage that's going on, they're going to ask you, aren't you worried about this stuff? You say, no, no, because I'm not a part of it. I've been saved from this crooked and perverse generation. And you can tell them about Jesus in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.